Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Westwood One presents The Pollsters. The Pollsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So this past weekend, like many of America's women, I went to see Wonder Woman. It was incredible. First of all, it was incredible to go to the movie theater. If I could just say that was <laughs> enough like of a, a treat. Okay. <laughs> like before the movie started, I was like, this is the best. Like, like, like nothing had happened yet. Because I used to go like early Margie, vintage Margie would scooter down to the Georgetown Theater for whatever was playing that day. That's just not what current Margie does. So I hadn't been to that Georgetown movie theater. It was like that big movie theater down by the waterfront for folks who don't live here. And so I hadn't been there forever. There's a bar in there now, and they had a oh, signature yeah. That's cocktail. That's where I got my Corona before seeing Fast and Furious. Yes, exactly. And they had a Wonder Woman signature drink, which I did not have because it just seemed a little ridiculous. So I was like, "Well, I don't." That seems like a bit. Did you too go far. to one of the theaters where you can reserve the seats yes. at a time? So the I big had... atmosphere. Did we go to the same showing? Because I also saw it at Georgetown this weekend. Four on Saturday. Uh, yeah, we were <laughs> definitely in the, wait a minute. I we may have gone D, on Sunday. Uh, we Hang were on. D3, we were D3 on the right-hand side. Were you there at the same I, time? Honestly, we might have been in the same oh my God, that, movie theater. I, that would have been so fun if I, we bumped into each other. Did I see it at, on Saturday or Sunday? And I bumped into, you know, Jamal Simmons, who you've been on TV with quite a few times. So I bumped into him and he saw all of us because I was with this like big gal gang. And he's like, let me guess. <laughs> Are you guys here to see Wonder Woman? <laughs> and uh, he's like, I was going to see it too, but we're uh, we're going to see Fast and Furious. But Wonder Woman was on the list. We're like, whatever. <laughs> Whatever, just random, <laughs> random guy. You were no match for us. You know, we would just come out like all kind of ready to go. And the other thing that was great was yesterday, last week on the show, I was talking about how much I wanted to go see it. But I had events on Friday, so I couldn't go to all the women's only shows. And as I was uploading the show last week, I got an email from someone who hadn't heard me, my sad tale of how desperately I wanted to go see it, and just had sent this email to like 50 gals, like, we are all going. And I'm like, this is the email. I just put this out. I was just about to put it in the universe, hadn't actually gone out in the universe, and yet here was this email. And somebody in my group said, my husband wants to know if you're going to talk about this on the show next week. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> this is going to be the greatest thing that's happened to me all week. <laughs> like, like, this is going to be the only thing I'm going to talk about on the show. <laughs> um, it was amazing. It continues in the path of – it now adds to The Handmaid's Tale of – Things that are very hot culturally right now that everyone says this is all about feminism. But I also think it's like, yes, this is why you take preemptive action to stop bad guys. Yeah. You know, it's like, like I'm the one that walked away from The Handmaid's Tale like, 
pre 9-11 reading at high school going like, we should absolutely invade and get rid of the Taliban because they're doing this to women. Like the Handmaid's Tale is real and it's in Afghanistan and we should invade because this is insane. So like the Handmaid's Tale kind of made me a neocon and I felt a little bit the same way walking out of Wonder Hmm. Woman. Like I feel very empowered and also sometimes when everybody else is like, let's just let's just figure this out and be nice. You got to run across no man's land with your shield and be like, "Mm -mm, stop enslaving the people in this town. It's funny because I was watching The Handmaid's Tale at the gym in my office building today (laughs) before you came over here to record, in fact. And it was the episode of The Handmaid's Tale where it's like you can see a little bit more politically what happened, like how how did they get to this point? And it had – I mean there are a lot of – actually there's some of that in every show, but this had a big political moment. Um, And I had thought about you saying that I was – and. And because it is kind of strange, like they talk about like how it doesn't happen quickly, it happens slowly. But then there is a moment where it does all pretty happen pretty quickly to go goes bad for women pretty quickly. And you think, yeah, what what does one do in this situation? Yeah. Um, but the movie that Wonder Woman was so, so great. It was really very like it was, I was more emotional than I expected to be watching like this woman centric origin story. It didn't break any kind of. Like, it didn't, like, reinvent the genre. You know, there were still, like, they didn't even play around with how women should look. They didn't play around with that trope. Like, that's, like, they were just kind of like, okay, we're going to just take that for what everybody expects it to be and not change it at all. They've already, they did that. Um, But it was still, like, to just, like, the first 20 minutes in particular was just great. Like, I just thought it was great. The movie was great. I really was very happy to go see it with all the gals who are in my group. Or elsewhere in the theater. I really want to learn archery now. It was really, I know, it was great, <laughs> right? It was really great. And then all the Tacoma Park moms went on the next day. And so we had a bunch of Tacoma Park dads at my house on Sunday. So that was, you know, that was nice. also pretty entertaining. So with bringing all their little girls over while all the moms were out seeing Wonder Woman sort of round two. So it was good. It's really good. So go see it, guys and gals. Guys would enjoy it too. Yeah, it's fabulous. So on to this week's top lines. Oh, God. We've gotten on the, like, hideous puns track. I love it. But you know what? This was the song of the summer five years ago, and our poll of the week is all about song of the summer. But first, let's get into these top lines. Comey, Trump's tweets, Russia, what is old is new again, Comey Fest 2017 going down on Thursday. That's right. We got all the polling you need to prep. For Comey Fest. And by the way, people here in D.C. are like going to bars in the morning. It's kind of like when the World Cup is in like Seoul and people start going to the diner at like five in the morning. It's kind of like that. Except it's (laughs) C-SPAN. I remember, by the way, being in college with a bottle of wine watching the John Roberts hearings because I was like the only person I knew that cared at all about this in college. It's a nice little memory. Right. And now I've moved to a city where everybody does this. Right. Uh, also, we will be talking about Paris and the fallout from Trump's decision to withdraw America from the Accords. Uh, and the UK is having its elections. Was Theresa May smart to call a snap election? We will uh, figure out uh, what the polls say is likely to happen and should we trust the polls in the UK? And finally, our HuffPo buddies have the polls and the puns on avocado toast. Is it destroying a generation? We have the polling. And can't wait to tell you. <laughs> Don't tell my children. All right. But poll of the week, song of the summer. We've done this the last two summers, I think. Billboard does a totally non-scientific poll of what people think the song of the summer will be. And last year, I remember I was hating on the Justin Timberlake song. 
the Justin Timberlake troll song. Right. And I think it pretty it won. I think. I don't know if it won. But it's it was played that- a lot on Kids Place Live, which I don't know if that's winning anything. <laughs> this year's Song of the Summer, Billboard's poll, suggests Despacito, number one. Number two, Bruno Mars, That's What I Like. Number three, I'm the One, DJ Khalid. Number four, Humble by Kendrick Lamar. Number five, Shape of You, Ed Sheeran. So I was down in Orlando for some focus groups over the last week or two and was there with my colleague, Jesse. Growing up in Orlando, I love me some XL 106.7. It is the top 40 station in Orlando. It is what I grew up on. But right. they legit play the same eight songs. Like, it's not top 40. It's top eight. <laughs> and so we made a joke every time we got in the rental car, Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, Despacito, or there was one other song that's not one of the ones on this list. But we were like, it's like one of these three songs will be on. I mean, it's kind of like... I mean, how much of this is people actually say, yes, this is the song. I, these are the eight songs I want to hear. Or are they just responding to whatever is being played for them? Oh, it doesn't mean that and, it, they want it to be the song of the summer, but maybe they just think it is. Like, right. so you may hate Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe, but right. it is undisputably was the song of the summer of t- 2012. Right. And that that is, that is, I mean, now hearing it and new after not hearing it for a while, it is pretty catchy, I have to say. But maybe there's some <laughs> parallel with like political messaging, like, you know, Republicans weren't thinking that tr- that Russia was an ally. But if they hear it often enough, maybe, you know, maybe it is. And so so songs maybe songs do grow on you. So, you know, maybe, maybe that Putin is growing on me, right? So maybe that's how some of the, you know, maybe that's just exposure to messaging you had not necessarily, you weren't necessarily looking for. It changes your mind. But, I don't know. And you have to plant seeds early so almost all the time when they look at these songs of the summer it is not a song that comes out in summer it's a song that's been out for a little while that just like has slowly built and then it peaks in the summer slash election day (laughs) but like it's been it's been building momentum right like by march you have probably already heard on the radio the song you got to build up a lot of points in order to make an impact Mm because of our fractured media landscape i get it um so i will be i don't know anything about ed sheeran but i know he's he's like the british justin timberlake sort of that sounds good i like those two things I, i don't He's yeah, playing. Maybe. So I'm going to Gla- the Glastonbury Music Festival in the UK. So UK listeners, I'm headed your way in a couple of weeks. And Ed Sheeran is part of the lineup along with Radiohead. And I, I think also Katy Perry, perhaps. So um, so I will be there. You, uh, you won't bump into me because there will be 200,000 people there. But I will be there. <laughs> and- you play like a Where's Waldo. Like if you find Margie, <laughs> she will have a poster. Don't look that mug. hard. Don't look that hard for me. <laughs> you can't listeners. If you think you see me, you may you may not want to come and say hello. <laughs> or maybe you will, but maybe it'll be very muddy and I won't quite be at my best. I would say there's no like you can't bring like your hair straightener. It's a glass of breeze. It's not that kind of thing. Um, you got to camp and stuff. So um, all right. So speaking of not being your best. Let's talk about Donald Trump's job approval. Yeah. Because it is not his and best hair, showing. And maybe hair straightening. Maybe that, I don't think there's enough hair straightening in the world that could really help him with these numbers right now because they are not so great. It's disapproval rating. Yeah. 55, it has settled into like a not so great new normal. It's it's strange because these numbers are so stable, but the everything is so volatile and rocky. And yet these numbers are just like they are not moving. 41 point. Uh, 7% approve, 55.1% disapprove is the latest HuffPost pollster average. That is not a great place to be 
things are not getting better. It's not as though like, oh, it was a rocky start. People didn't give him credit, but now he's doing things. My column in the Examiner today is a, me venting hot fire anger because of the story <laughs> that Republicans are going to run against the media. Like that's our narrative for 2018 is that the media is bad. And I'm basically like, look, running against Nancy Pelosi, even though she hasn't been speaker for seven years, like at least there is a policy agenda you can kind of derive from that. Like just running against the media, they might win. They might keep the house by running against the media. But we control like all of government. If you don't have anything you can say like, hey, when we were in government, we did this thing and it was good and you should vote for us because of it. My God, people. So this was my anger. You and your long-term planning, Kristen. I know. Nobody cares. Um, <laughs> you're like, quote-unquote, policy. <laughs> Why are thinking so much about policy? Oh, we could just let's win an election by talking about how bad the media is so we can control government and not do anything with it. I digress. Okay. <laughs> well, that seems to be the plan. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's going well or going badly, but, you know, we do see some people are kind of buying into the Trump uh, language on some of the things that he's been doing. We have, so we're recording on Wednesday afternoon. So, like, the Comey testimony has been, there's been remarks that have come out. There's been leaks in advance of the remarks that have come out. There's been testimony already today, but, Others in the administration. Um, so we don't have all – there's not all the polling you need on Comey out yet because it hasn't happened yet. But all the polling so far, at least the recent polling, and this is not going away. This is going to – there will be more, you know, Comey clearly in this whole Russia situation is not going away. But what's interesting is how um, divided voters are along party lines. I guess it's not – it's interesting, not a surprise. Um, and they asked a couple questions. This is Langer research for Washington Post, ABC, I believe. And they had a couple different metrics that had different types of answers. So did you think Trump fired Comey to protect himself or for the good of the country? Um, a quarter, almost a quarter of Republicans say to protect himself. Overall, majority say it's to protect himself. A quarter of Republicans. I mean, here's he's losing some ground with Republicans. I mean, that's kind of a high number, yeah, I believe. Uh, uh, for a lot of these, he gets, you know, 77% of Republicans think Trump is cooperating, while only 17% think he's interfering. But then there's this question about, you know, has your trust in Trump, has it gotten higher or lower? Yeah. Uh, and on this question, Republicans, 48% of Republicans say they have less trust in Trump now. So they're willing to think like he's not obstructing justice and that he's basically cooperating, but they're not looking at this incident and thinking this is like boosting their no. confidence in him. Yeah. And, and right. And so if Republicans are, that's Republicans were basically evenly divided. But like I said, back when this whole Comey stuff first happened, how the crosstabs were about to flip, that Republicans had been like, oh, we kind of like Jim Comey. And Democrats were like, no, you and your letters, you kept Hillary out of the White House. Now you see Democrats, 54 percent say they have higher trust in Comey now. <laughs> like suddenly they really like him. So. Now, what's interesting is on all these and like any question about Trump, Democrats are like seventy to ninety percent in the against Trump. Like whatever the question is, like do you think Trump X? And all Democrats sort of flock to the anti-Trump position. In this Comey question, 
they are more divided than than Republicans are. Republicans are all in in the no on Trump on Comey, Comey yeah. but Democrats are a little bit more divided. Fifty four say they have more. You know, they have some trust in him. Forty percent say they have less trust in him. Um, I think that's a collapse, like four away into two different you know two different nets there. But um, we'll see how that changes, how that evolves. Um, also related to all of this is just Trump's value versus his team as a speaker, as a spokesperson. Um, this is all part of this whole conversation because it's not just about Trump and Russia. It's also about how Trump talks to people on his team, what he says publicly, how it, he is at odds with people who speak for him. That's all part of the same story. But, you know, much of the Comey situation is about whether he asked Comey to, you know, do one thing about Flynn or whether he asked other people on his team and what did Comey say about being with Trump. So there's, it's all of this sort of What's his management style like? And this interesting poll, this was from, I think, like over a week ago from Mammoth. And they said, when you think, when you hear this person speak, are they helpful to the president or are they hurtful or is it, or do you not know? And Trump, out of all the people that they tested, Spicer, Kellyanne Conway, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Mike Pence, and Trump, the one person who has majority hurts the administration is Trump. He's his own worst enemy. And the voters know it. <laughs> and he's the one who says, like, I can't – I'm going to be in charge of my own comms now, right? I'm going to do more of the press briefings. I'm the only one who can control my own message. He routinely undercuts or is at odds with what his spokespeople say about all kinds of issues. And voters are responding negatively to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this question, Sean Spicer and Kellyanne Conway getting basically the same marks from people, about 28% saying does more to help. Um, for Spicer, 42% say more to hurt. For Kellyanne Conway, 40% more to hurt. Uh, 30% say they're not really familiar with either of them. Um, Mike Pence is gets much higher marks among Republicans than Trump does as well. So this isn't just about you know, folks in the middle not liking Trump, but going, oh, Pence, whatever. Even Republicans, you've got a lot of Republicans think Trump hurts himself, but a lot of Republicans think Mike Pence is like the savior. Yeah, I mean, a majority Get of independents. Get ready for the 2024 election, Margie. <sighs> so Mike Pence versus oh, whoever the incumbent it, Democratic president uh, is. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to, I can't make it. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to 2018 if I'm watching the news this closely. I mean, even a majority of independents say Pence does more to help just a third say the, of independents say the same about Trump. Three times as many Democrats say Pence helps as say Trump helps Trump. So it's, you know, everybody says, hey, more Pence, less Trump. Um Politico Morning Consult asked specifically about Twitter and Trump with pretty predictable responses here. Do you think President Trump uses Twitter too much? Not enough. <laughs> about the right amount. A majority of Republicans say too much. Yeah. We do not see as big of a – I mean we see a party divide, but it doesn't look like most Trump questions. This is something that has bipartisan agreement. And it's funny. At no, There's no group where even 10 percent say he doesn't tweet enough. <laughs> Who are these people are like? More Dude. tweets. More M O A R. More. <laughs> All the tweets. More tweets. I mean, it's and do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, Republicans are divided. I mean, forty one percent of Republicans say it's a good thing, his use of Twitter. Thirty seven say it's a bad thing. I mean, it's basically the same. I mean uh, and then do you think does it have an impact on – and then they break it out. What kind of impact does Twitter 
have on national security or the Trump presidency or Republicans up for Congress in 2018, uh, U.S. standing in the world, for all of these, a plurality or majority say it hurts. And interestingly, this is one of those like, okay, putting on our pollster, pollstering hat, uh, Hi, Tyler. <laughs> I have a question about this question. Now, it's uh, so the, there's this question from the Morning Consult study. Generally, would you say President Trump's use of Twitter helps or hurts each of the following? Helps or hurts Republicans in Congress up for reelection in 2018? I am fascinated by the fact that it is the younger voters in these crosstabs that are the most likely to say Trump using Twitter helps Republicans up in Congress, which is different than saying, is it a good or bad thing? But I am fascinated that it is the younger voters far more than the older voters who think that Trump's tweeting helps GOP candidates. Right. And it's very interesting. Probably not because younger people are more Republican, I I would imagine. Um, But maybe, you know, maybe in this sample, younger people are a little bit more Republican than than, you know, than otherwise. Or or they think it's bad and they think. But tweets but it, are good. But it's, but it's it's energizing that right. base or whatever. Or it's maybe there's an interaction between age and party because e- Republicans are more likely to think that it helps Republicans in Congress. Democrats are more likely to think it hurts so Republicans. So you would expect the age break to look the other way, right? Very curious. So we don't know. I mean, the other thing is these questions are super interesting. I, I don't know how many. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of difference, but there are how many people are going to say, "Well, I think Trump's use of Twitter helps this, but it hurts that." I mean, you're kind of you've kind of made up your mind about the president's use of Twitter. I think. I mean, I don't. I mean, I. It's not that you've made up your mind, but that that. That's asking for a granular level of opinion about the president's use of Twitter that, you know. Considering that we know that most people are not on Twitter. Right. So very few people who are taking this poll are actually Twitter users who are seeing the president's tweets firsthand. Most of them are seeing his tweets reported through other media. Yeah. So, well, let's talk a little bit about the big, the other big story that came out last week. I think we recorded before the announcement was formally made. Right. And we didn't have up to minutes polling. We had just earlier, like previous week's polling on Paris. Yeah. But there's been some more recent polling on Paris, but it confirms what we saw before the announcement, which is people are generally opposed to Trump's decision to to withdraw from the climate accords. Yeah, you wind up in ABC Washington Post polling, which there were a lot of folks in conservative land who took issue with the wording of some of this. And I see their point. I don't think that this was like a grand conspiracy where it's this media poll that's like trying to drive some result. I don't think that's the case. Which phrase? Which part of the um, phrase? So uh, the the. Withdraw from the main international agreement that tries to address climate change. If you are somebody that I, – I think the, the main quibble I saw is that it sort of – one, it doesn't even mention that it's the Paris Agreement. So, you know, what do you – do you know mm-hmm. what it is? Right. Um, and it's sort of a frustration that conservatives have with lots of questions, which is that it doesn't – it didn't explain anything about what America would have had to have done being a part of it. Right. So, so instead of saying, do you support or oppose Donald Trump's decision to withdraw from the main international agreement that tries to address climate change by 
and like X, Y, and Z is what the United States would have done in it. Right. And they, the, with the suspicion being that if you had included more of that, the numbers wouldn't have been as good. I don't know how, if I think that's true. Right. What if you'd said it was voluntarily, voluntary, you know, as well? But anyway. But, right. But, so does that make it better or yeah. worse? Um, but that was one like question wording conservative land quibble I saw. But that's not, you know, I mean, I hear, I hear that, but that's a separate question. Like, there's still, right, you are, and this is true when we were talking about any of this stuff. Like, there's always, especially with something like this, which is complicated. And before, before Trump decided to withdraw, this was not a common, this wasn't a common thing that people asked on public polling until recently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how much were people, you know, how much do people know? What kind of information do they have going into this debate? And the answer is not a whole lot. Um, and you are capturing that by asking a question that doesn't have a lot of stuff in it. You are just getting sort of where they are, which is useful, even if it is not fully informed. It's still where people are, which is its own value to see where public opinion is before you give them some more information. Um, and since this is about Trump's decision and not about, like, do you favor or oppose this accord? Do you think America should stay in or how do you you know feel about it? I mean, it is about Trump's decision, which is a little different. It's going to be partisan no matter what we what else we put you know it doesn't matter what you put in that question the trump word in there do you agree or disagree with trump's decision to you know have a bologna sandwich for lunch you know you'd get you know pretty bad numbers with democrats so i think um but nonetheless that's the reality that we we find ourselves in what is interesting maybe a little bit different than the various questions on Twitter, is you do see some real differences on these questions of what do you think this decision's impact would be on the economy? What do you think the decision's impact would be on the actual plan to address uh, climate change? What about U.S. leadership in the world? So there you see some real differences, particularly with Republicans. Yeah, and for Republicans, they generally think that this move will help the economy, but then when it comes to whether or not this will help or hurt the environment – most say they think it'll make no difference. Uh, and when it comes to the question of how will this impact the U.S.'s leadership in the world, um, this is one where you find 21 percent of Republicans think this hurts us, 30 percent say it makes no difference, 44 percent say it helps. So the Republican consensus in from this polling is uh, much clearer on this would be good for the economy. There is less consensus on what does this mean for climate change and our standing in the world. Whereas with Democrats, it's very consistent. Right. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. Right. And probably more likely to say that with Democrats on U.S. leadership in the world, seeing that as the ramification. Perhaps that's the item where you see, you know, more movement or more, you know, more indecision among non-Democrats and more unity among Democrats. Not by that much margin, because as you said, Democrats are pretty consistent. But that's one where they're like really, you know, even more Unified, so yeah, um, and, and that's the one on for independence as well. Fifty six percent of independents think leaving hurts our leadership in the world, where only fifty one percent think it hurts the environment, and only forty two percent of independents think it hurts the economy. So the the more independents think it hurts our leadership than any of the other things, and then Ipsos and Reuters had some polling, and they asked. Um, it doesn't look like, I mean, they may have had elsewhere in the poll, but the questions that we polled were not specific about the Paris Accords, but some other questions that they asked that had different wording about jobs and also what we should be doing as in the country. And they had this language. Do you think, to what extent do you agree or disagree that given the amount of greenhouse gases that it produces, the United States should take aggressive action to slow 
global warming. So that's a completely different question than the Washington Post ABC question. I mean, first of all, before you even get anywhere else, this has aggressive action to slow. That aggressive is quite a strong word, obviously. Um, The Washington Post ABC poll has climate change, tries to address climate change. This has to slow global warming. I mean, even just the verb that you're using before, whether it's global warming or climate change, but whether using that word slow or address or curb or reduce or stop, I mean, they all have different kinds of connotations and you have to be very deliberate on what word you use. So they say slow, but this aggressive action is quite an aggressive word, I would say. And the use of aggressive therefore makes me pretty surprised. And I've seen a lot of polling on this climate stuff. I, I am stunned at the high numbers of Republicans they have agreeing with that statement. They have 25% of Republicans strongly agreeing that the United States should take aggressive action to slow global warming and another 34% somewhat agreeing. So that's that's almost 60% saying the U.S. should take aggressive action to slow global warming among Republicans. Yeah. That's a notable number. Yeah. It, it is very – it's quite interesting and maybe it's related to this other question. Reducing global warming will hurt jobs in the economy or clean energy will create new jobs and growth. And there you almost – you don't really see that big of a party difference. I mean some, but it's not as dramatic as you sometimes see with these climate questions. So there a majority of Republicans, obviously clear majority of Democrats and independents agree that clean energy will create new jobs and growth versus hurting the economy. And this goes back to a thing that's been part of the climate debate in polling and also beyond just the polling, just in the debate overall for a long, long time, which is, you know, polling that asks voters to choose, oh, which do you prefer, the environment or jobs, doesn't really actually mirror the economic impact of focusing on climate change, that there's, you know, uh, economic risks to not doing anything on climate change. In addition to investments that could be done in the in new technologies and and a variety of other economic impact metrics, and this question gets it a little bit. It doesn't really fully go there, but it does perhaps show that there's some openness to that argument. So this is my question wish list for all of our pollster friends out there who have surveys going into the field anytime in the next couple of days. Um, yesterday, there was news that broke. It was like the eighth most interesting news story that, you know, on any given day. This is just how these things go. But it was that Donald Trump had said in a meeting with some House Republicans or someone that he wants to put solar panels oh, on yes. the wall. Right. I am dying to see what that question would come back as in terms of the party cross tabs. If you asked people, would you support or oppose a border wall covered in solar panels or made out of solar panels? Or you line the whole southern border with a ton of solar panels, support or oppose. I would love to see the cross tabs on that question. Because I don't know. Most of the time, Margie, we walk into the studio and we've got poll questions and there's very little that genuinely That's shocks right. us, right? Yeah, right. If you say, oh, I did a question on immigration. Okay. You can't. I, I, oh, sometimes I say around here, you can't stump the pollsters when somebody's like, hey, have you ever seen a poll or – Hey, did you see this poll that came out? I'm like, can't stump the pollsters. I look at every poll that comes out every week. Can't... I I could not tell you what I think <laughs> the numbers would come back on for a would you support or oppose a border wall covered in solar I think panels. you need to do a little qualitative on that because I think you'd have a lot of people scratching their heads like, what? Is he really? Oh, I have, I'm sure. I'm sure. 
how would that work? And then where is the energy going to go? And can you even really do that? And, you know, okay. There's a lot of sun on the southern border, Margie. Yeah, that's for sure. I'm like, all right, let's put more solar panels somewhere. (laughs) No, but I'm like, I'm I'm serious. No, I know. I I know what polling looks like on the wall. I know what polling looks like on clean energy. I do not have a clue what polling looks like if you put them together. Where was it? It was one of the tip sheets and it said, who's going to pay for the wall? The sun. (laughs) I forget which one. Sorry. Sorry, tip sheet person with your joke that I forgot which one of you made it, but it was very funny. Um, so that's, that came out, but, you know, still what the, despite these kind of positive numbers on climate from Ipsos Reuter, it's still the environment, just sort of broadly speaking, just the environment as a word is a lower tier issue compared to some of these other issues, but that's not a surprise. I mean, those, what's the most important issues. There's rarely one thing that really just kind of dominates. You have a lot of things in kind of single digit second and third tier land and, it's hard to know how people are even thinking about it when they see the yeah. word, the environment, what that means. But nonetheless, it's consistent with what we've seen elsewhere, which the environment, the people, there may be more agreement on it, not necessarily prioritizing it. Well, let's stay talking international for a little bit. And let's talk a little about the UK polls. So the election's happening June 8th in the United Kingdom. That's um, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Is this episode going out today? Yeah. All right. Hello, everybody, Wednesday <laughs> evening. How's it going? Yes, uh, yeah, so the election uh, happening in the UK on Thursday. And this is one of those things where prior, yay, parliamentary systems, you don't have elections like regularly every four years. The person who's in charge just gets to go, I think we're going to have an election now. So let's do that. Um, and in this case, it was believed that Theresa May, the prime minister and the conservatives were just like crushing it. Uh, and that by calling this election, this would further cement her majority in parliament and give her more political capital to use in the transition away from the EU and through Brexit. Um, and then all of a sudden, the polls started coming back, showing conservatives and labor really close. And there are a lot of folks going, well, wait a minute, is this true? Because the polls in the UK in 2015 showed oh my gosh, conservatives and labor are so close. And then in the end, conservatives won by a pretty healthy margin. And David Cameron held on, you know, so right. I think there are valid questions to be asked about, should we trust these polls? So there are a few things going on. So the first is there's clear movement. I mean, there's no aggregator that doesn't show the gap between conservatives and labor just narrowing dramatically, where now it's you know, single digit margin of error kind of stuff. All the aggregators show something similar. But a couple other things are true. One is you have obviously a lot of tragedies in the last couple of weeks, which add some level of volatility and unpredictability in terms of elections, um, such as the event last weekend in uh, London Bridge, as well as the Manchester tragedy from a few weeks ago. So those could play a role in a way that's hard to you know, hard to to capture or predict. The second piece is you have, you know, a history of polling being a little bit mercurial in the UK. And consistently, at least, and Nate Silver does a very good roundup of this at 538, where conservatives beat the polling average. That's, you know, that's the trend that's happened over the last several elections. It's given rise to this so-called shy Tory theory that has now become a shy Trump theory here in our polling has now like kind of taken over, been part of the like public imagination, even if it's not 
totally true that that's really what has caused polling to be unpredictable in the UK or for that matter here, but it's become a common thing. It's a thing. It's a meme. Um, so is that what's happening? Is that part of the explanation for why the polls are a little bit varied this time? Is it even going to be – are we even going to see this? You know, If you if we end up on election day having conservatives beat the margin – being far wider, you know, far wider than this kind of narrow election that's predicted now. What does that mean for polling? Are people going to say, ah, once again, the polling has been wrong? Or will people say, well, the conservatives were up and then the conservatives won. So, you know, everybody, that's no big deal, right? Is predicting the winner going to make people feel complacent about UK polling, even if it the margin that people predicted is not accurate? Like what happened in France, right? Or are people just kind of desperate to have a hand-wringing conversation about UK polling being hard to pin down that will kind of jump the pond to people being worried about whether you can trust polling here. I don't know. We're going to find out. People listening to this may already have a point of view based on what happens on Thursday. I mean, what do you think when you look at these numbers? Well, what's what's really perplexing to me is on the one hand, we have the uh, Huffington Post pollster averages, which show conservatives at 34.8 and labor at 32.9. So that's extremely close, right? But then if you actually look at what 538 has, they have it at conservatives plus seven in the polling average. So this is like the averages that they're using are not even in the same ballpark together. Um, and I, part of this, you know, is I think this question of what sorts of adjustments and weights and turnout models are you taking into account? My colleague Patrick was, uh, and I don't want to miss, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I'd have to go back through his Twitter feed, but was uh, very taken aback the other day to discover a poll where uh, it seemed as though they were counting younger voters too much. Mm-hmm. That the, the age distribution of the the electorate looked really off to him and that like nobody else seemed concerned about this or thought there was any problem with it. But that's the sort of thing that will easily contribute to, say, the conservatives being undercounted. So I, for some reason, this is one of those like, we're supposed to trust the data, we're supposed to trust the data, except that we know that the data have been wrong in UK polling in the last few elections. And so I don't blame people that are going like, yeah, the polls say one thing, But I bet you conservatives win by like eight, you know, or I bet you conservatives in the aggregate hang on and get X number of seats in parliament. Like it it seems to me that there are the 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 punditry around it is like, yeah, I know the polls say X, but Y is probably going to happen. Right. Which is also kind of dangerous because that's sort of what happened to Republicans in the primary. Yeah, we know Trump's ahead, but. But, I know. I was there. <laughs> but that can't possibly be true. <laughs> right. Um, and the other thing to remember, which we talked about last week, is that these national polls are not exactly how That's the voting. That's how elections happen. So... <laughs> In but, France, they do. Right. France for president, they do. But that's not how. So, but, you know, that's how the polls work and different outlets do it a little bit differently. But it's just an important thing to remember. Here's another way that voting also doesn't work is by Twitter poll. So, you know, sometimes people think if their Twitter polls get a lot of votes that somehow that means something because it's got a high response rate. So there was some Twitter poll that went like mad viral. Who would ye rather have as prime minister, Theresa May or Bass Hunter, who I think is not a famous fisherman or woman, but like some sort of musician. <laughs> oh, so then it's probably Bass Hunter. But, the, but oh yeah, I guess so. English, you tricky language. You. <laughs> but I'm looking at it like I'm assuming, Bass Hunter. I, I, I'm. If you're telling me this is a musician, 
I'm betting it's Base Hunter. Yes, you're probably right. Well, <laughs> he or she is crushing it, or at least as of a couple days ago, 92 to 8. However, however you pronounce his or her name. Everyone loves bass. <laughs> All about that bass. With 60,000. And this was a couple days ago, so who knows? Well, we're, I guess we're allowed to have a non-scientific poll up at like the meat of our show because we're about to give you a scientific poll yes. for our end of the show fun poll. Yes. For, we have an actual real poll and from a real And this is like the outlet. most relevant to Margie's interest thing I've ever seen us have I, on this show. I feel like I'm in a bubble. I didn't realize how much of a bubble I was. I lived in until I saw this poll. Finally, it's now clear to me because our good friend Ariel Edwards-Levy, who just had a birthday, happy birthday, um, did a tweet about a poll about avocado toast, about the story about maybe millennials actually aren't blowing their home deposits on avocado toast. There's always these, I mean, I'm sure you- There was some like investor billionaire guy, I think, who gave an interview where he was like, oh, the reason why millennials can't buy homes is they're blowing all their money on stupid things like avocado toast. (laughs) Which, that's not the main reason why millennials are struggling to buy homes, guys. I, I saw somebody on Twitter who, who tweeted out, why why aren't millennials buying orbs? <laughs> Which I thought was funny. I maybe it was related. It must have been related to this, this guy. If they, were, if they were young popes, they'd buy orbs. That's right. This They're is all young. Oh, I baby. There. I know. All your it's things. all my all Twitter, all my funny, the things I enjoy from afar on Twitter. But so avocado toast, how do you feel about avocado? So they had several. They got to the bottom of this. It was not just one question, like three or four questions. How do you feel about avocados? Love them, like them, but don't love them. Dislike them, but don't hate them. Hate them or not sure. And a majority say they love them or they like them, but they don't love them. So that's good. And not, I mean, I guess older people like avocados more than younger people. It's not dramatic, but it's. Avocados are not a millennial thing. Well, here's the thing, right? So there was a, this goes back to this like they're an everyone thing larger right they're not i mean that's or uh, they're a uh, two-thirds of america thing so there's always the thing with food trends and folks may remember maybe in the 80s or 90s like when people didn't they had different food tastes and avocados and guacamole because they had a high fat content and high calorie content it was always like stay away from guacamole stay away from avocados it's just hot it's just bad for you because they're high in calories and then we decided no, that we want that kind of good fat. That's good. It's a non-processed food. And now everybody wants avocado soup. Every pl- it's like one of those food trends like sweet potatoes or kale or whole grains or flax that you can see in like every single kind of product, not just in like sort of yuppie. I mean, that's the thing that I found confusing. Like I thought avocados have now penetrated. You could find them at, you know, Starbucks and McDonald's and wherever, not – like it's not like a growler. This is not a question about like you know, <laughs> like really Legalized obscure, avocado. right? You know, this is not like some obscure hipster thing that you know, or like pour over coffee or something that's like only like you know, food snobs are really going for. I mean, this seems like just kind of like something you find in like every barbecue picnic, whatever. So that's why I'm surprised to see the avocado like hate and response here, but. At the same time, I'm amazed that not, very few people have had avocado toast or seen it on a menu. Like, it just seems very simple. It's like bread with avocado. Like, why is that so unusual? Like, avocados are everywhere. You can get, like... Maybe because it's so simple, it's like... 
I'm sure that it's been on menus. I don't know that I've ever ordered it at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I know my husband eats it all the time, like avocados instead of butter on bread. Yeah. But I, I split an avocado with Beckett this morning. I mean, he and I were like, <laughs> I mean, it's like it was in his first like 50 words as a mole, you know, <laughs> for guacamole. I mean, guacamole is a little long for that, but a still, baby. A mole. That's a mole. Uh, yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. So well, he and I. Thank you to the Fempire for polling on this extremely margie relevant i know i know i feel like i now i can go home i can have um i have like some polling to talk about at dinner which everyone will find very boring (laughs) like excuse me i have something to share (laughs) with the family like great (laughs) it's the polling about our dinner tonight (laughs) okay thanks okay so key findings i bet there aren't so many leaks or investigations on the island of themiskira in this case, correlation does mean causation, I think. Never tweet, says America, and I'm not so sure that that message is getting through. I'm sure this Comey-Trump thing will all get smoothed out Thursday. We can get back to more popular things like getting out of the Paris Accord. And meanwhile, UK listeners, get your election in order. Get your summer songs ready. I'm headed your way to Glastonbury in a few weeks. An avocado toast, what's not to get? Maybe it's the shy avocado theory. Oh, we had to get a, a, a <laughs> weird little pun in there. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Kazoltis Anderson. Find us on Facebook where we post links to the stories throughout the week that we want to chat about. We're also at www.thepolsters.com where you can find links to the polling resources that we have deemed awesome. Make sure that you write reviews. Let us know what you think. Send us notes. We always love to hear from you. Thanks. Bye. A Westwood One podcast production.